0: This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. We're always looking for new ideas and topics from our listeners, so please reach out, share your ideas. You can email us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com or connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter and you can find links to all that in the show notes. Now, on to this week's episode. Certainly, there's a new financial reality for a lot of our members who
1: overall came through relatively well, particularly those who got decent government funds and in some cases funds from their payers. But now they're settling into a little scarcity on the bottom line or on their cash flow. They've rethought their capital budgeting and their priorities there and what needs to be a physical asset versus a digital approach or an operational approach to the marketplace.
2: Hello, and welcome to SG2 Perspectives. We are your hosts, Kelly Richard and Trevor Durin, and today we're bringing you another episode of Grill Bill. We have with us SG2's foremost thought leader in healthcare strategy, Bill Woodson. Thanks for taking the time to be grilled today, Bill.
1: Great to be back on the podcast.
2: Fantastic. I think the last time we grilled you appropriately was in July, and things have changed quite a bit since then. When you're talking about different healthcare system leadership, what are the most important trends and challenges that they're facing in the next six to 18 months?
1: The discussions really vary right now and there is a balance that exists between what's urgent and what's our focus over what time frame and our members' ability to predict that. That informs us that most of them have moved to much more of a rolling forecasting approach to the things that they do. Over the slightly longer term, the focus is still there and what they know they need to get done. But things are fluid. The list of priorities, while smaller, can vacillate depending where the market is and the market conditions are as we reopen the economy, as the mix of patience starts to change, evolve, recover, maybe too strong a word in some markets. Certainly, there's a new financial reality for a lot of our members who overall came through relatively well, particularly those who got decent government funds and in some cases funds from their payers. But now they're settling into a little scarcity on the bottom line or on their cash flow. They've rethought their capital budgeting and their priorities there and what needs to be a physical asset versus a digital approach or an operational approach to the marketplace. At another level, it's what's going on in the marketplace. Where are ED volumes? As the COVID cases move out of the hospital, and that's largely happened, what's coming back, what's not, what's the shape of our recovery over the next 18 months, what demand has disappeared permanently, whether to another site or altogether. And that creates a good bit of uncertainty. The one I'm curious on the front lines about right now is just the ED. That's been down consistently across the country. It has not returned to 2019 levels. In our forecast that will be coming out shortly, we play that out. But We heard from a couple of health systems just in the last couple of weeks that they are above 2019 levels, and we don't know what's going on, nor do today. So we look forward to getting some of those anecdotes to our members
0: over the next couple of months. One thing that's been kind of a hopeful message that I've heard this spring is a lot of at least the strategy and planning leaders that we work with have said, we can take some good things from the last year. And we've been trying to be change agents. We've been trying to push the organization to be innovative. And this was in many ways a good shot in the arm to do that. Have you seen some examples of some good organizations that have said, hey, actually, we are going to be able to take this learning forward. We're going to be able to change a process. We're going to be able to change how we make decisions, how we think about our footprint, how we think about the impact we can make.
1: All works in progress. And sure, I know you did a podcast with Allison Rogers from Ballot Health, and she brought up some of those things, but that ties back to the approaches to planning what we focus on, how we deliver our metrics to the organization, and also kind of stay more in touch with our community and not only in the strategy. and planning role as we get the organization focused on health equity and social determinants. Everyone is optimistic about that. The real check is going to be in the fall when we hope to see our members live and in person in Chicago. But to what extent have we fallen back on some of our old ways? I hear CEOs and C-suite people say the operating rhythm is different. Our meetings are different. We are back face to face carefully, and we're using our time for the precious thing it is. But let's see. Healthcare has a long track record of backsliding. It's a little too critical, but I think we're optimistic as well. And it's some of the most optimistic conversations I've had in my career in healthcare.
0: And the thing that makes me optimistic is the boards are asking different questions, just a different scale and scope of questions they've asked before. And that tells me it's forcing the leadership to make it priorities.
1: We've been not as exposed to the board conversations, understandably, but from what we hear anecdotally, boards are getting away from where are we versus budget I've heard this from others, let's banish the word budget permanently or versus budget permanently from the lexicon, where are we versus our rolling forecast the last two quarters, the last four quarters. And boards do want streamlined metrics and what we hear increasing also some metrics on what we're delivering back to the community, what we've done, and then metrics related to the health of our workforce, workforce turnover, the resilience of our workforce.
2: While we're talking a little bit about changes that are sticking from COVID, let's talk about disruption and what some organizations that are not necessarily health systems might be doing. In the past, we've watched some of those primary care providers like Oak Street Health, One Medical. For a while, are you seeing disruption in any other areas where health systems should be paying attention?
1: it's almost the blur of what digital health, and it's a broad term now, has become first quarter 2021, $7 billion put into digital healthcare investments. Some of those are larger deals, but the deal flow is extraordinary. And while we know our members have focused on consumer engagement and activation, patient monitoring and management, and then patient assessment and ongoing care, the sector is so much bigger than that. And we're into administrative aspects that use digital components or design. Disease management, some big plays there, clinical trials, a lot of activity in in in-home monitoring, screening and diagnostics, and then kind of clinical intelligence enablement. There's a company called XHealth that's getting a lot of play. It's not only all these players, it's what's scaling and what's not. And frankly, the feedback we're getting is it's overwhelming for the provider industry to track this, let alone implement all of it, integrate it and go through the change management that's going to be necessary. At SG2, our next project in the area is going to be look at kind of the structural aspects, how you organize this internally in health systems. But Kelly, back to your question, the scope of disruption is staggering and the timeframes will vary, of course. It's almost hard to even grasp of what's going on right now. And, you know, let's remember the rest of the economy has been digitized so much more so than healthcare. We lag considerably. It's no wonder that's where the money is going into right now.
0: Thanks, Bill. That's a good external industry view of what's going on in digital health. We've been bullish on health systems ability to use digital health as a growth channel. Obviously, the last year saw huge ups and back down. But this spring, I've heard a huge spectrum of future outlooks from our members, from our physicians and consumers don't want digital, they want to go back to normal to this is going to be one of the biggest drivers of growth going forward. What have you been hearing?
1: Both can be true, probably will be true. The in-person care has its place. And we know that I think it's the front end and the back end of the delivery system where virtual slash digital with these tools will have some lasting effect. It'll vary by specialty. And I try and think more boldly here. I caught up last week with John Bartas, who used to run Med Assets that bought SG2. And then he went to go work for the government. He's very passionate on this kind of consumer side right now. And What he keeps reminding me of is that the consumer has been reformed in our economy. That's his term. We need to expect that that is underway in healthcare. It's not optional. We participate, we support it, but kind of the degree of satisfaction, dissatisfaction that exists among consumers, despite our efforts with some of these digital tools and virtual outreach is so far from what's going to be needed. It presents because John's an optimist, a huge opportunity. It's a massive lift on the front of the delivery system, meaning engagement, education, interaction with patients far before they're interacting with doctors and hospitals. And then similarly, recognizing, and I think John used the percentage, 95% of consumers leave a healthcare interaction, not only unhappy, but having their questions unanswered. And all of us can kind of tie to that. In John's mind, that will unleash an incredible opportunity in digital activation of patients, meaning we're going to engage them in different ways in the front end in ways that they're comfortable with in other aspects of their lives. We're going to use that to bring them into certain parts of the healthcare delivery system. That's directly tied to where growth discussions need to go among our members right now, which is what's the activation of that growth going to feel like moving forward as we hope some of these traditional drivers of growth in our procedures and ambulatory sites come back. We have to think about how we're going to be behaving in the market differently.
2: Absolutely. And you just said patients are leaving dissatisfied with their questions unanswered from the doctor's office, and then they get a big bill that they didn't necessarily expect. So when we're thinking about price transparency that got a ton of buzz in the last couple of months, is that going to matter? Is there any impact that that's actually going to have as it starts to bear out in reality?
1: Let's be patient with it. And I assume many of the people in this podcast have poked around on some of their competitors' sites and looked at pricing information that is available or not. How good is it? How confusing is it? Certainly the feedback from our members is they believe the only people looking at that data are the payers. And it's wildly inconsistent. I believe both the administration and Congress are behind this and will add momentum to it, some structure to it. And I think let's call it a medium term play. We've got a long way to go here. But given the deductibles of the out-of-pocket expense for consumers, we should say consumers deserve this. And what that can do for our members is a certain percentage of them is allow them to behave differently in the marketplace to outflank their competitors. It will tie more directly into their strategy for key service lines. I see positives coming out of this, but for sure, what will be exposed is the subsidy that exists from employers to providers, commercial insurance versus what Medicare and Medicaid are paying for. We know that. We talk about it. Now we're going to take the cover off of it over the next couple of years.
2: And tying in the disruption lens, sometimes I wonder if there's going to be some company that comes in and takes the data that's currently available and not very consumer friendly and figures out a way to change that up and translate it in a way that consumers can actually look at it. And if not consumers, maybe just employers who are also kind of in the dark.
1: The payers have been doing it for a while, and and they complain that their enrollees, their beneficiaries don't actually use the tools. But you better believe the optims of the world are ready to push this out because, of course, it aids in their negotiations. Optims, and that we know, are looking very closely at the data that providers are putting out there.
0: Bill, we've talked about a few different growth angles here, including digital, including big, scary numbers in terms of investment. But the non-sexy growth angle is a segment of our members I talk to a lot, rural and independent hospitals. The outlook this time last year or 18 months ago for them was challenging. And even though they got some government help in the last year, it certainly didn't get better. I haven't seen m and of those hospitals heating up. I haven't heard health systems saying that they view that as a growth channel or strategy. Most are trying more to focus on ways to do integration or, frankly, reach those markets digitally without needing uh, physical assets there. What do you expect? What have you been hearing? How are the rural independent hospitals going to fit in with our bigger health systems going forward?
1: very hard to generalize. And the MA deal flow is quite strong, and it, it, it's varied across the country. But you're right, Trevor, You know who's on those lists and who's not? And do you want to go into some of those markets? Uh, you're fortunate enough to speak with some of these leaders, as is our colleague, Jeff Moser. I mean, some of them are just savvy operators, executives. They know how to make a go of it year to year. You give me a challenge. I'll figure it out. What confronts them over time is the challenge of the workforce, meaning recruiting, the talent they're going to need to keep these places going. That's going to be the hardest part, even with digital virtual visits and connections to other sites of care. This is where the outlook for a percentage of them is negative, absent some other support subsidies, M&A transactions. This always takes longer than we think in healthcare. So I'm not going to put a timeline on it, but depending on what particular market we're talking about and what those commercial reimbursements rates are, we know the next 18 to 24 months are going to be extremely tough on an income statement and balance sheet side.
2: Let's shift gears a little bit toward value-based care and payment. Initially in the pandemic, we sort of witnessed this bifurcation. So those headed in the direction of value-based care doubled down a little bit more. They saw less risk in having some of their business incapitation while we had others that maybe hadn't gotten so far down the path and they kind of backed off of investing in value-based capabilities. Where do you see the current momentum here?
1: It's early, and I think there's kind of a kicking of the tires, a re-kicking of the tires that's going on, not only of what are the true incentives in the marketplace and from Medicare moving forward, what can I count on? How is my clinically integrated network working or not? And some of our consulting team members, as you are going back into those networks and kind of reevaluating, what do we set up to do? What can we take on? And for those that remain bullish, just because of how much they've done or where their market's going, we know there's great passion around expanding what goes on in Medicare Advantage. We've talked about that for several years and there's a good alignment there with the payers and the providers for the moment. And then Kelly, something you and I have spoken about, which is capitation for a certain percent of the primary care workforce that will certainly play out regionally. But if you want to provide income stability, we'll see more of that. This may also tie back to the incentives that are built inside, not only the clinically integrated networks, but the employed medical groups for physicians coming out of a year that caused a lot of uncertainty and more doctors in the market from what we hear seeking employment. This will tie into a discussion we're getting the questions now, which is let's go back to work on the incentive structure for the employed docs, particularly in primary care.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. Those practices aren't necessarily profitable anyway.
1: <laughs> no, no, not, a, not <laughs> at all. And that may be an opportunity here, which is, I'm not saying it's a lack of patience. It's a willingness to revisit the levers inside the practice to how do we use advanced practitioners, digital tools. Yes, we bring in some other administrative tools with machine learning or AI to streamline workflow. How do we use partners for some more of the management services aspects of our group? Perhaps how do we right size the group, not only the number of docs, but the location that we have. There's a lot that will be in play. So to the extent you look at those fundamental economics as a headwind for the large health systems, I think everything's on the table right now. And there's goodwill on both sides of the table for a period of time. That's our encouragement to our members, take advantage of the goodwill you've generated. And you'll find, I think, a
0: receptive audience from the physicians and advanced practitioners. Bill, we're trying to grill you, but you're dancing and dodging well here. We've talked about a lot of the things that I have heard from health systems. ED, digital, being pushed into health equity. But we're hearing a similar pattern, at least I'm hearing a similar pattern from most members we talk to. They're focused in similar areas. Is there something that you wanna encourage our members to pay closer attention to that you're not hearing enough of them talk about? Let's watch what the
1: truly large systems do and there's a multiple of billion dollars and up. And those systems are being forced to do several things. Many of them are continuing to grow, expand their footprints geographically. That may mean leaving certain markets as well, but they're taking a hard look at their physical assets. Can they afford them on a capital spend side, but they feel this perpetual need to grow. Let's evaluate the decisions they make in location, site of care, what they're chasing and what that does to the marketplace. But then most of them are able, they're fortunate enough to recognize, all right, we have a core business and we have a new set of revenue generating businesses that we can develop, partner with, maybe for some of them that's in the digital space. But let's watch the plays that they make there, how successful they are. Our friends at Advocate Aurora made a couple announcements in just the last couple of months of some things that they're going to try. And it's interesting they, they're taking a long-term view of looking at the health of the patient and what are complementary or adjacencies for them. Let's see how some of those things go. And then the truly large systems, Common Spirit and Ascension, the constant pivot point between what's centralized and decentralized. Our sense is, and with great respect to the communities and ministries that they support, There's been a lot of centralization that's occurred in the last year in COVID, just as a matter of getting things done. And that creates a different operating slash management model in these organizations. There may be some clues there of how some medium-sized systems can run themselves. And that gets into how you scale certain functions that you use, what type of partnerships you develop. I think about what turns into a service and reporting as a service. What's your data infrastructure? How are you handling your cloud services moving forward? These very large things that now will provide opportunities for our members. And some of these new revenue streams for these large systems, those are partnership opportunities for the smaller systems. So they're looking for other health systems to partner with. I think that's exciting. And those will span huge aspects of our delivery system. And an area that I continue to kind of scratch my head on, but we'll watch it. And I think we saw Humana just required the, some large plays in the post-acute space. And then we're, we're going to watch the behavioral health space as well. There's some large acquisitions that are going on there. And talk about an area where there's a ton of digital startups. Like there's a hundred of them digital mental health startups going on right now in the country.
2: Absolutely. So places to look, behavioral health, home health, post-acute shifting to the home, all of those are really important. Bill, we have one last question for you. Health systems are among the first to have been vaccinated and the rest of us are hopefully following close behind. Are clients going to see you back on the road again soon?
1: We've received the request. I think what I'm humbled by is with just the announcements from the big companies. I think I read today, Goldman Sachs wants everyone back in the office by the middle of June. We'll start to see more of those across the country. For many of our executives at the health systems across the country, they're back. They're back at work. And many of them, or maybe that's not every day of the week, but they're back to -to face-to-face meetings, even larger group meetings. I've been invited to some of those, expect those to play out. Visions can be very careful about how we do this. I sense a great level of responsibility across the industry about how to do this, why intelligently. But if you look, yes, the ASCO this year, the large oncology conference will be virtual again, but there are in-person meetings in the fall. We're going to attempt to host one and maybe they're dinosaurs. Maybe they never come back, but this is going to be the experimental fall season. But in the meantime, yesterday, this is the busiest travel day at the airports since the pandemic began. So 1.4 million passengers, I believe this will only increase in the course of the summer, which will pump money into the leisure economy. I don't know about the business economy but I am looking forward personally to getting back to interactions with management teams and boards in situations where you can read their body language, their intent Trevor the term you and I heard from the CEO of Advent Health there's something there We'll never go back to the previous travel schedule but the in-person world is out there and will will affect us all in some way probably hopefully a positive way
2: Well thank you so much Bill for allowing yourself to be grilled again. We will get back to you sooner next time. we will not be waiting almost a full year. Thanks, everyone. This has been another episode of SG2 Perspectives. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter at SG2 Healthcare. You can also reach us via email at SG2 Perspectives at SG2.com. Reach out and let us know what healthcare trends are most important to you. Please also listen and subscribe to our colleague, Dr. Tom Villanueva's Modern Practice podcast on Visian's Medical Leadership channel. Tom discusses key healthcare trends through the clinical leadership lens. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.